the FBI in peace and war. The FBI in peace and war. Brought to you by Chesterfield. The only cigarette to give smokers premium quality in both regular and king size. Buy them either way you like them. Premium quality and much milder Chesterfields. And Dentine, the gum with breathtaking flavor. And Beeman's Pepsin, tastes so good and aids digestion too. Another great story based on Frederick L. Collins' copyrighted book, The FBI in Peace and War. Drama, thrills, action. Tonight's story, The Solid Citizen. Shepard speaking. Mr. Shepard, I have a call for you. Mr. Wyatt of the United States Attorney's Office. Oh, thanks. Put him on. Yes, sir. Go ahead, please. Shep. Hello, Ben. How are you? I'm not sure. I've just come from a conference on Paul Bradley, Shep. If your evidence is sufficient, we're going to charge murder. Mm, that's a large order. Yes, I know. How soon do you need an answer? Well, how soon can you give us one? A couple of hours? Fine. I'll be waiting to hear from you. Uh, thanks, Shep. I know it's a large order, but we do need your testimony. I'll call you, Ben. Right. So long, Shep. Goodbye, Ben. So? They're going to charge murder if our evidence is strong enough. They want us to testify. Yeah, that's why I wanted you in here. Mr. Andrews wants us to be up on every angle in this case. Murder? That's not going to be easy to substantiate. Uh, no, that's why we've got to understand every move right from scratch. A uh, cigarette? No, thanks. From scratch, huh? That was... Uh... About a year ago, November of 1951. Is that when he issued the first phony loan? No, he'd been doing that for a few months. November was when it began catching up to him. Motivation? The usual. Debts? No. The races? No. Women? Well, one woman. Pretty remarkable one at that. <laughs> it's funny, isn't it, Shep? Here's a man of high standing in the community. He has an excellent job, a fine reputation. He has a lovely wife and two children. A solid citizen, if there ever was one. And yet... Well, let's look at it from that angle. For several years prior to November 1951, that's the way it was. Paul Bradley's a solid citizen. At home, he gets along splendidly with his family and with his neighbors. The bank, he's been made a vice president in charge of the personal loan department. Everything proceeding along the lines of a well-rounded, gratifying, and happy life. Of course, that's the way it appears on the surface. Go beneath and we find a different story. This is the time we can figure roughly when Bradley is first beginning to get worried about his banking activities. The time when he picks up his office phone and calls Anthony Servo at the Dixon Hotel. Yeah? Hello, Tony. This is Paul Bradley speaking. Yeah, Mr. Bradley. What can I do for you? I want to talk to you, Tony. It's important. Well, look, I was kind of planning on the races this afternoon. Never mind the races. This is important. You stay there in the hotel. I'm coming right over. Now, relax, Bradley. For the love of Mike, take it easy, will you? What are you getting in such a heat for? Well, I told you, Tony. Yeah, sure, you told me. Your boss thinks you're wonderful. Your department's doing tops at the bank. Is that something to get in a heat about? Yes, it is. That's just it. Mr. Franklin's taking notice of me, and I don't like that. I don't like it one bit. You don't, huh? <laughs> you know, for a guy in your position, you got a lot of likes and don't likes, Bradley. 
Maybe you don't like the bucks, so we're splitting in this deal either. I never said I didn't like the money, Tony. I'm only pointing okay, out Okay, we... you already pointed. Now skip it. Here, take a drink. Pull yourself together. All right. Maybe I need For one. sure you do. Robo, what are you, striped pants boys? So you can't look a dishonest dollar in the face. Well, if I were only certain that Mr. Franklin wasn't onto anything. Well, how could he be? There isn't a chance of him or anybody else ever finding out those loans of phony. I don't know. I do. Yeah, drink this. I wish I was assured. Drink you... it. Now, look, Bradley. Do I got to draw this for you on a blackboard? You're the head of the department, aren't you? Yes. You're selling money to bank lens, right? That's right. So who could figure you're making loans to people who don't exist? We fix a credit reference, don't we? You'd better let me have another drink. Sure. Now, we don't ask for too much. 700 here, 1,000 there. I guess you're right at that, Tony. Of course I'm right. All we got to do is to keep paying the interest on time and take in the cash. Here. Thanks. I tell you, it's airtight, Bradley. If your boss ever suspects something, you think he'd let you stay on in your spot? No, I guess you're right. Sure. You just take this new batch of names I worked out. Oh, look, hadn't we better wait a few you days? Know, I got a real talent for inventing phony names. How do you like this? Lester Gorey, plumbing contractor. Raymond Tanning, a menswear. <laughs> Fancy, huh? Yes, they're fine, Tony, but Lester can't we... Lester Gorey's a borrowing 800, Tanning, 75. Here you are. And, uh, Bradley. Yes? That secretary of yours. Amy? Yeah. She's the only one who could smell a rat. If she is. Relax, will you? I'll handle Amy. <laughs> hey, look at who's telling who to relax. Oh. <laughs> all right, okay. You feel better now, huh, Bradley? Sure, sure, I feel all right. Now you stop all this worrying. We're going to clean up big just to keep remembering that. All right, Tony, I'll remember. Like I say, it's airtight. You make out the checks, I cash them. It can't miss. <laughs> Nose, throat, and accessory organs not adversely affected by smoking Chesterfields. First such report published about any cigarette. A responsible consulting organization reports a study by a competent medical specialist and staff on the effects of smoking Chesterfields. For six months, a group of men and women smoked only Chesterfield, 10 to 40 a day, their normal amount. 45% of the group have smoked Chesterfields from 1 to 30 years, for an average of 10 years each. At the beginning and end of the six months, each smoker was given a thorough examination, including x-rays, and covering the sinuses, nose, ears, and throat. After these examinations, the medical specialist stated, It is my opinion that the ears, nose, throat, and accessory organs of all participating subjects examined by me were not adversely affected in the six months period by smoking the cigarettes provided. Remember this report, and buy Chesterfields, regular or king-size. Premium quality Chesterfields. Much milder. And now, Act Two of tonight's story on the FBI and Peace and War The Solid Citizen. Tony Servo tells Bradley to stop worrying. The scheme can't miss. And it doesn't. The loans go through without a hitch. Bradley splitting the returns with Tony. Three months have gone by, and he's made himself a tidy sum in addition to his salary at the office. And everything is proceeding smoothly there, just as Tony said. Hello, Mr. Bradley. Well, you still working, Amy? 
you going to lunch yet? I wanted to finish up this work first. I've got these repayment books ready when you want to see them, and uh, Miss Stevens is in your office. Oh? How long has she been here? Oh, I don't know, about half an hour. Oh, and here are the checks for these new loans, Lester Gowry and uh, Raymond Tanning. They came through, eh? Mm-hmm, from the main office. I'm all set to mail them out. Uh, well, Amy, um, huh? I don't want to mail these checks out just yet. I want to look these over first. Oh, of course. I'm terribly sorry, Mr. Bradley. I should have asked you first. No, 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 that's all right. I just want to attend to them myself. <laughs> you certainly give personal service, Mr. Bradley. Well, I aim to. After all, that's the way to build goodwill in this business. <laughs> oh, and no calls until I'm through with Miss Stevens, Amy. Hello, Joan. My, my, how serious we are this morning. It's afternoon, and I thought I told you... Never to come here to the office. Oh, darling, I miss you too much. Uh-huh. Don't be cross with me, Paul. Just kiss me and tell me that you're crazy about me, and I shall leave without a murmur. Oh, Joan. Kiss me. Darling, I... Oh, never to come to your office, never call you at home. Well, it isn't fair. I know. Just isn't fair. Besides, I wanted to show you my new outfit. Do you like it, Paul? It's lovely. Isn't it? Oh, darling, I'm so glad that you like it. Now, if you just write out a check... Oh, Joan. Well, they don't give clothes like this away for nothing, Paul. But it's the third outfit you've bought this week. Now, Joan, please. Well, really, Paul, I do want to look nice. After all, your wife has all the leave clothes... Leave Helen out of this. Well, I only... I said leave her out. Very well, Paul. I'm sorry. Are you? I wonder. A check for how much? Maybe you'd rather leave me out. Now, Paul. Joan. Well, if you would, all you have to do is to say so. Don't talk that way. You know how I feel. Do I? You know only too well. Five hundred? Will that be all right? Just right, darling. All right. There you are. Oh, thank you, Paul. You are sweet. I'll be seeing you tonight? Yes, of course. We'll make it an evening. Now you'd better go now, Joan. Oh? I have a lot of work to do. Oh, of course, darling. How thoughtless of me. And that's one thing I never want to interfere with, Paul. Your work. And because of his attachment to the woman Joan Stevens, Bradley carries on with his work at the office, as well as his scheme with Tony Servo. Meantime, you remember, we're carrying on with that little work of our own. And during the course of it, a lead turns up when Inspector Martinson of the Philadelphia Police comes to our office. Inspector, would you show that picture to Dave? Sure. There it is, Mr. Reynolds. So, it's Tony Servo. Last time I saw his picture, he was in Leavenworth. Well, I'm sorry to say he's one of our citizens now. What does he call himself these days, Inspector? He's back to Tony Servo. But he's gone through at least a dozen other handles in between. And the strange part of it is that he's right out in the open now, all of a sudden. A couple of days ago, he opened an account in the local bank for $15,000. 15000 Servo having that kind of money all of a sudden is very interesting. Uh-huh, and putting it into a bank account's even more interesting. Has he given himself a title, Inspector? Well, the money is banked under the name of Anthony Servo. President of something called the S&B Operating Company. S&B Operating Company, huh? Well, you can bet that's a build-up for something soft, and we better find out what it is. Dave, we're heading for Philadelphia first thing in the morning. Right, Chip. Inspector, we can count on you for a couple of extra men, can't we? By all means, Mr. Shepard. The department's at your disposal. Good. We can let Servo have plenty of line at first. 
But we're going to find out where that bank account came from, Dave, and just who the S&B operating company is operating on. Here you are, Bradley. Three more names. Robert Hagen, accountant. Philip Newbold, the pharmacist. Ella Benedict, researcher consultant. Paul? Yes, Ellen? There's a young lady outside from the bank. She says it's important she sees you. Oh? I asked her to wait in the study. Well, thank you, dear. You won't be long, Paul. Dinner will be ready any minute. I'm sure this won't take long, Helen. Well, Amy. Oh, hello, Mr. Bradley. I, I'm sorry to break in on you this way. I, I wouldn't if it wasn't important. That's quite all right. Sit down, won't you? Can I fix you something to drink? Oh, no, really, I, I couldn't. Well, all right, then. What is it, Amy, that's so important? It's, it's this check, Mr. Bradley. Oh, Ella Benedict. $800. Oh, yes, uh, this has come through, has it? It came through this afternoon after you left the office, and I, uh... Well, you always take such pains to uh, attend to things personally, so I, uh, I took it with me to deliver myself on my way home. Oh? You delivered it? Well, I, I tried to, but I couldn't find any Ella Benedict at the address. Well, you couldn't? No, sir. Well, they could have given us the wrong address at the main office. Well, I checked our files. That address was on Mrs. Benedict's application. Oh, it, it was? Yes, sir. I even called up the people she gave as business references. And, Mr. Bradley, there just aren't any such people to be found. Not one. Well, I... There's, there's, there's something very wrong about this, Mr. Bradley. You think so, Amy? Well, there must be. We'd better call the police right away. No, no, Amy. I, I don't think we'd better do that yet. But, uh... Now, you haven't told anyone about this, have you? Of of course not, Mr. Bradley. Soon as I had the facts, I came straight to you. Well, that was very wise, Amy. This could be a serious thing. You realize that? Well, of course I do. Most serious. I mean, if someone in my department is making false loans, well, we... Amy. Uh, yes, sir? I want you to do something for me. Oh, certainly, Mr. Bradley. I want you to keep this strictly to yourself until I have time to explore it fully be very bad for the bank if this sort of publicity leaked out. But... And quite frankly, Amy, it would be very bad for me. It would? I'm afraid so. You know how these things go. Now, will you do that for me, Amy? Keep this to yourself. Why, of course, Mr. Bradley. I'll do anything you say. And on the evening of January 24th, 1952... Paul Bradley's little scheme starts to disintegrate. His secretary, Amy Wharton, has accidentally discovered the first discrepancy. And only loyalty to him prevents her disclosing it right now. The solid citizen is getting shaky at the seams, and he knows that something must be done. He makes another visit to Anthony Servo at the Dixon Hotel. Servo agrees with Bradley that something must be done, but Bradley disagrees with Servo on just what this something is. Are you crazy? Sure, like a fox, maybe. Can't you get it through your head? Amy knows that last loan was a phony. All the more reason not to wait for the next one. Drink? No, and you've had enough to drink. It's perfect, Bradley. I got 15000 in the bank. With a credit rating like that, the loan will go through easy. Now, Tony, we... 10000 cash. Five for each of us. Make a nice last haul, Bradley. And what about Amy? You bought time for us, didn't you? She won't do a thing until you said a word. Said so yourself. I'm not going to do it, Tony. That's final. 
I don't like any part of it. Hey, you go again with those don't likes. I told you, for a guy in your position, you got too many of them. You gotta look at it practical, Bradley. You're a big man. And they one respectable type. How would it be if it got out of you was mixed up with phony loans? It won't get out. I can handle Amy. Well, sure you can. You can handle Amy, Bradley. Question is, can you handle me? You... Huh? You wanna have a drink? Tell you what. I'll have one with you. What time are you joining Miss Stevens? I pay my respects. You never mind, Miss Stevens. She's not interested in your respects. Uh, no? No. I'm walking out of here, Tony. And I'm not coming back. Miss Stevens is not interested, eh? No, and neither am I. Where we're having cocktails, they don't allow cheap two-bit hoodlums to buy. Now, wait you. a minute. You stay away from me from here in, Tony. You stay away or I'll... You what? <coughs> Let go of me, Tony. You crummy phony. I ought to... I said let go. You're too good for me, huh? You and Miss Stevens. Tony. Well, she's not too good till she gets a cut from this job. I can promise you that. Her what? Her cut, her cut. You heard it plain enough. Half for everything I get, same as always. Tony, what are you saying? You middle-aged pot-bellied fool. Who do you think put the squeeze on you for presents before you pull the first phony loan? Who kept after you? You're lying, Tony. Yeah? Ask her where she goes when you go home to your ever-loving wife. You're lying. Two-bit hoodlum, huh? Anytime that's better than a high-priced sucker. Tony, Tony, she isn't in on this. You're only saying that. Listen, Bradley, and get this straight. Johnny's in on it, and so am I, and so are you. We're pulling this last loan, and you're swinging it for us. You haven't any choice in this deal. For breathless moments, for your breathless moments... Chew dentine, the gum with <gasps> breathtaking flavor. Dentine tastes so good. Dentine freshens your breath. Dentine helps keep your teeth sparkling clean and white. Dentine, the gum with <gasps> breathtaking flavor. Before you go out and always after eating, drinking, smoking, refresh your breath with dentine. You'll love dentine chewing gum, for dentine has a wonderful tingling, nippy flavor that lingers on and on. It's delicious. And remember, dentine helps keep your teeth white, too. Keep dentine handy. You'll enjoy refreshing your breath when you chew dentine. So, for breathless moments, for your breathless moments... Chew dentine, the gum with <gasps> breathtaking flavor. Now, Act Three of tonight's story on the FBI and Peace and War, The Solid Citizen. And now Bradley's really had it. If he was in a tough spot before, this new turn leaves him in an all but unbearable position. Disclosure threatens from one side, Tony Servo from the other. And our solid citizen is right in the middle. What'll he do? Well, as time runs by and the pressure tightens, if... Shepard. Chef, this is Marty Enright in the lab. Oh, yes, Marty. Find anything? We just blew up the pictures on those fingerprints, Shep. They're identical. They are, huh? Well, that's fine, Marty. That's a big help. Anything more I can do? Uh, not at the moment. I'll let you know. Thanks, Marty. Thanks a lot. Anytime, Shep. That's what we're here for. 
The Prince match? Yep. We can definitely establish Servo was in her apartment last evening. Then Servo's been lying. I don't think so. But we still have the conflicting stories. His and Bradley's. Yeah. When Inspector Martinson picked Tony up, he was very belligerent. But when he heard what had happened, he opened up wide. Admitted his part in the loan fraud, but swore he had nothing to do with the killing. And Bradley? He's still pretty confused, but everything fits. You're convinced he's the one? Well, look at the facts. He had the provocation, he had the access. Why, even the switchboard girl at the hotel identified his voice as the man who reported the killing. All right. Well, put yourself in his place, Dave. He's the man in the middle of an impossible situation. Not only does he find out that he must proceed with the fraudulent loan scheme, but he also learns that the woman he's been selling his soul for is a double-crossing confederate. So this is the time we can figure that Bradley's living through an agony of indecision. His secretary's been forcing the issue at the office, and Tony Servo's been doing the same at his home. Almost 48 hours, Bradley, and I'm still waiting. Uh, Tony, I... Tomorrow. I'm giving you until tomorrow to put that loan through. Look, I've got to go back to dinner, Tony. Just remember what I said. Tomorrow, Bradley. If it don't come through then, I'll come around to the bank and take care of it. Personal. And I told the Carters, I said, well, if Paul isn't off on one of those business trips of his, we'd love to come for the weekend. And Maud said... Helen, for the love of heaven, stop babbling, will you? Well, Paul... I'm sorry, dear. I... I guess my nerves are on edge. Of course they are. I know how it is with all this extra work lately. Paul. Yes? There's something wrong, isn't there? Yes, Helen. You can't tell me what. No, Helen, you see, I... It's all right, dear. You don't have to explain. There's nothing to explain. It, it's nothing that concerns you, really, I... Well, it's all right. If you can't tell me, you can't. More coffee? No more. Are you going out again tonight? Yes, I... There's something I have to clean up. Uh-huh. Paul. Yes? A wife can sometimes be more than a decoration around the house. If there's any way I can help. Thanks, Helen. But I don't think there is any way out of this. I'm in too deep. There's no way out of this one. What brings you here at this hour? I couldn't sleep. How about you? Oh, it's too early to sleep. I was having a nightcap and listening to that. I picked you a drink? No drink. Mind if I turn it off? Oh, I thought you liked music. It's the wrong kind. That tune is for a beginning. Wrong kind for an ending. Ending? What are you talking about? Oh, he hasn't told you yet, huh? I didn't think he'd have the nerve once he sobered up. He? Yes, he. Tony Servo. He didn't have the nerve. Tony? Who's Tony? Now, really, Joan, you're not going to play dumb with me, are you? Paul, if you came over here to make trouble... You got it. That's just what I came for. Let's level, Joan. Just for once, let's level. You've been in with Servo right along, haven't you? I don't know what you're talking sure about. Sure you do. You know. You were probably waiting for him now. Or maybe he's here already. Really, I failed to find this amusing. I'll bet you do. 
Well, I think you better leave. I think maybe not. If you don't, I will. Oh, you're leaving, all right. Only not exactly the way you think. Just what is that supposed to mean? Just what it sounds like. Paul. What is the phrase for it? Kill two birds with one stone, isn't it? Two. You and Tony Servo. The only difference is, this isn't a stone. Put that gun down, Paul. And it's so perfectly set up, too. Like a plot over the radio. Paul. We always took such pains that no one would see me coming here. Didn't we, Joe? They'll never suspect me. Only Tony. I see. You have this all worked out. Yes. Right up to the electric chair. Tony will talk. Oh, now we know Tony, He'll do we? He'll the works. You, me, the loans, everything. Yes, he will. But I don't think they'll listen. An ex-convict's word against the eminent Paul Bradley's? No, I really don't think so. Put that gun down, Paul. I was crazy, wasn't I? Right out of my head. I had everything in life that a man could want. Money, good position, a fine family. And I gave that all up. I shoved it right down the drain for a cheap little two-timer like you. You never thought I was cheap before. I do now. Oh, no, you don't. I'm still the same as I was, and so are you. No, you're wrong, Joan. I'm different. I'm so different you'd never know me. Oh, I know you. If I went up close to you now, if I did, it would be just like it always was. And if I asked you to kiss me... Don't try it, Joan. If I asked you to, you wouldn't hold back. You couldn't. Don't try You'll never be different. Stay where you are, Joan. I mean it. Oh, it's still the same, darling. Why fight? Don't it? do it. Why? Oh, kiss me, Paul. Kiss me and then tell me. <laughs> Paul. I said you were leaving, Joan. I told you. I. Everything in life a man could want. And I gave it all up for you. On the basis of evidence supplied by your Federal Bureau of Investigation, Paul Bradley was indicted for the murder of Joan Stevens. Soon after, during his trial and at the repeated urgings of his wife, he made a complete statement of his guilt. He was sentenced to a term of life imprisonment. Anthony Servo, though cleared of complicity in the murder act, was found guilty for his part in the loan fraud and was sent to prison for eight years. Thus, the files were closed on an ex-convict, his lovely confederate, and the solid citizen. Thanks to the magic of radio, CBS Radio to be exact, you can try your hand at solving a murder. You can go to sea with the hardy sailor man of the Napoleonic Wars. And you can also shoot it out with frontier desperados in the days of the Old West, all on one safe and exciting evening. How to accomplish all this? Well, just tune in CBS Radio this Friday night and hear Mr. Keene, tracer of lost persons, taking on his latest case with you as his armchair assistant. And keep tuned for Michael Redgrave in the role of Horatio Hornblower, taking you back to the days when life was cheap and romance very dear. And then to keep your evening stimulating, you can join United States Marshal Mark Dillon on his tour of duty in Dodge City of Old, battling out with the outlaws on Gunsmoke. 
Yes, every Friday on most of these same stations, you can enjoy them all. Mr. Keene, Horatio Hornblower, Gunsmoke, for three kinds of action, adventure, and excitement. The stars of tonight's FBI in Peace and War, in just a moment. In tonight's story, Walter Grizzay played the part of Paul Bradley. Harold Huber was Anthony Servo. The radio dramatizations for the FBI and Peace and War are written by Louis Pelletier and Jack Fink. These programs are produced and directed by Betty Mandeville. All names and characters used on this program are fictitious. Any similarity to persons living or dead is purely coincidental. This program is based on Frederick L. Collins' copyrighted book, The FBI and Peace and War, and is not an official program of the FBI. The FBI and Peace and War, brought to you by Chesterfield the only cigarette to give smokers premium quality in both regular and king-size. King-size Chesterfields contain tobaccos of better quality and higher price than any other king-size cigarette. And Dentine, the gum with breathtaking flavor, and Beeman's Pepsin tastes so good and aids digestion, too. Again, we want to remind you to be sure to listen to next Wednesday's story, The Card Game, on the FBI in Peace and War. Same time, same station. This is the CBS Radio Network. <laughs>